This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Special guest here from Silver and Black today as we dive into Raider Nation, our main man, Scott Gobranson, a.k.a. Downtown Scott. <laughs> downtown Scott. <laughs> that's what the streets are calling him. What the downtown? That's what I'm going to call him now, Downtown Scott. What, what, what's, the, what's the story? Downtown Scott. Well, it's funny. Thanks, first of all, Casey and James. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good to be back on the air in California where we got lots of Raider Nation stuff there. But so my host, my co-host on our show, which is an Odyssey original podcast, it's also heard on The Bet down in Las Vegas on the radio. And uh, his name is Mo Moten. He is a senior NFL writer over at Bleacher Report. And he started doing these, these live studio hits from Bleacher Report. Mo's mm-hmm. a great writer, but very low-key guy. And so I started calling him Midtown Mo because he'd have to go. He lives up in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and he'd have to go into Midtown so I used to joke on the air about how, oh, he's getting in the limo. And it just came to me, Midtown Mo. Yeah. And then, of course, we had the great talent at Odyssey do a theme for him. Uh, and so that took on. So now our listeners are looking for something to call me. At least that's that's uh, not an expletive. Uh, and so so that's where some of these guys that we know, because we have a lot of listeners up in your area, too. Yeah. And the downtown Scott thing is, I guess, where it's coming from. So I'll take it. I mean, I, it could be worse, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> but I, I have to tell you this, though, Casey. Uh-huh. So, and it's funny, because being being as though they call you KC, uh, the king, so Sacramento king. So let's go back to when I was a much younger man okay. or child at the time, late 70s, because that's how old I am. And uh, I grew up first part of my life in Kansas City. And mm. guess who used to play at Kemper Arena in Kansas City? Mm. The Kings, Kings right? Yeah, yeah. So I have this. I pulled this out special for those who are watching. I got to oh, pull it this way. Yeah. Oh, this Kansas oh, City Kings. Nice. This is an original. I've had this for 46 years or 43 years, whatever it is. Wow. Um, so anyway, yeah, going back to the days of Reggie King and Josie Mayweather um, and Reggie Johnson and Steve Johnson, uh, some of those guys, so anyway, so I, I have a soft spot in my heart for the Kings and always will because uh, of that. There's a lot of like, uh, I don't know where I saw this. Maybe I was like doing a Twitter search or something like that. I don't know where I saw it. But there's a lot of like, um, like people in Kansas City still wear Kansas City Kings hats, shirts, all this other stuff. I don't know if it means they're Kings fans, like Sacramento Kings fans, but they still show love um, for at least that time, the Kansas City Kings and and their logo and all their gear, almost like they do with the Seattle Supersonics in Seattle and do the same yeah. thing uh, in Kansas City, I guess. Yeah, those, I mean, for us old heads who remember the old NBA, right, uh, from the 70s and 80s, I think that's why, right? Because we're, we're of the age now where it's like we can we can enjoy that. They, they brought out all that merchandise, all that great throwback stuff, mm-hmm. like you're talking about with the Sonics and, and the Kings and some of the other teams. So, so yeah, but I, people in Kansas City love basketball, though, too, yeah. because of obviously college basketball is big there. Yeah. They had the NBA and lost it, so we'll see if it ever gets back. Real, real quick, Am, I got I to gotta ask him before we dive into to the Raiders. Uh, Scott Smitty said he spent a lot of time in Las Vegas. Obviously... One of the bigger stories here in Northern California is what's going on with the Oakland A's and mm-hmm. going to Las Vegas. 
from the outside looking in, like here in Sacramento, even in the Bay Area, it's like it feels like Las Vegas isn't even really tripping off Major League Baseball. Like <laughs> if they get it, cool, like we'll enjoy it. But we want the NBA, which is going to be coming soon. We got the NFL. We get all the fights, UFC and boxing. Like there's no shortage of things to do. Not really tripping off the – like I don't know why they're going out of their way. I'm talking as if um, I'm a Las Vegas person. But Oh, and then they got the Golden Knights too. But they're like I don't know why they're going out of their way to take this team. Like we don't even really want them that bad. Like if it works out, cool, but – they're doing a whole lot for something that we're not interested in. Is that accurate? You know, I th- I think it's somewhat accurate. I think there there's there's a big baseball. Uh, there's lots of baseball fans in Las Vegas. Always has been. I would say most of them are Dodgers fans, mm-hmm. frankly. Okay, mm-hmm. but with the influx of Californians that came in, especially after COVID, a lot of folks from the Bay Area moved down as well. And so so the A's in Las Vegas, yeah, there's not a lot of excitement a- around them there's excitement around major league baseball coming there Mm -hmm. but a lot of the people i talked to were sort of like well geez can we just get an expansion team now there was some of the same talk with hockey right when hockey came although hockey was was homegrown they had a campaign to sell season tickets to convince the nhl to give them a franchise so there was interest before Mm -hmm. and then of course the raiders situation was different you had uh in essence uh uh the the legislature in Nevada passed that and funded part of the stadium, as you guys know from that story. Mm. Uh, This one was done different, though, because this one was done very quickly and very quietly, where the Raiders campaign was very public. It had the support of the labor unions who eventually built the stadium, Allegiant Stadium. This one was kind of put through really quickly. Mm. And so I think there's some skepticism around why they did that. And then even the renderings for the stadium in Las Vegas on the strip there are are fantasy. They're not even real. They're not even something that they could build there. Yeah. So I think there's 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 like some excitement amongst baseball heads there, but overall people are just kind of like, yeah, whatever's going on. And of course you have the issues with ownership in Oakland. Mm-hmm. People are not real excited about having to deal with maybe a team that comes there and doesn't do anything to try to win because you have to win as the Raiders have learned, but the Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup and they were a homegrown team. People love them. Uh, but it, Vegas is a town where you got to win. Going back to my alma mater back in the 90s when UNLV was putting it up, mm-hmm. you got to win and people will stay interested. Yeah. So are you guys just collecting all of the worst Northern California owners? Because <laughs> that's what it feels like. I mean, between you know Mark Davis and his all-white uh, outfits, uh, yeah. of course some Maloofs are there, and now you're, you're all in on, on Fisher, or maybe you're not, but it just feels like you need strong ownership and not one of these franchises would have what you would consider really strong, competent ownership to start. Well, we'll see, we'll see what the Raiders, because I, I, ha- I would agree with you on the field because the, the record speak for it speaks for itself. The Raiders have not been successful for more than 25 years on a consistent basis. Uh, but Mark Davis, I mean, you look at the numbers, I think it was released today by Sportico 10, 10th most valuable franchise in the NFL mm. at, at uh, $5.1 billion. So that could be considered success and pretty smart. I know maybe it doesn't translate on the field mm. uh, where you cover the sports, you know, but at the same time, uh, I think that, but yeah, I think, I think, listen, you have to any, I always say it, I say it to anybody, fans of any team. And I grew up a San Diego Padres fan, still am. So I had, I dealt with and saw a lot of bad ownership. Mm-hmm. You can never overcome bad ownership. You, and you know, this from covering sports as well. You can never overcome bad ownership. You saw what happened in Washington. Thank God they got rid of that guy. Mm-hmm. 
You saw it in the NBA with the Clippers, right? Donald Sterling, besides all his issues off the court, never really cared to win. It was like having another car for him. Right. He had no intent to ever try to win. So, so that's, the, that's the issue with ownership. And I think that a lot of people in Las Vegas are looking at the A's and saying, yeah, what's there to be excited about? The Raiders had the mystique, even though it's a long time ago, mm-hmm. and the brand much stronger than the A's. And, and it's the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody knew the NFL would work in Vegas, even if the team's not very good. Uh, you're going to sell out the stadium every time and make tons of money. Yeah. We got Scott Gobranson from Silver and Black today uh, on D'Lo and KC. Also, you know, the Raiders, for people who didn't hear, uh, we talked about it last week, but the Raiders home here in Sacramento will be on ESPN 1320 this coming year. We're playing all the, the, the Raider games here on ESPN 1320 all season long. So, you know, Raider Nation, tap in with ESPN 1320. Scott, there was the end of an era, so to speak, the Derek Carr era uh, in in Las Vegas now with the Raiders. He's spent this time in Oakland as well, but in Las Vegas. I, I think it was time for that marriage to end, but I I didn't think Derek Carr was as bad as people made him out to be. And the things were like, I didn't feel like it was a situation where it was time for a change. You had to move on from him. I thought Josh McDaniels had a lot to do with it last year. And I think people forget they just went to the playoffs the year before that. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. this completely broken down thing. Um, But he was the one that kind of they parted ways with. And now you got Jimmy G. What's your thoughts just on that? you know, kind of trade of quarterbacks. I'm going from Derek Carr to Jimmy G. Is Jimmy a stopgap guy, or do they look at him as somebody that could, you know, potentially be a franchise quarterback? A great question, KC, and, and I'll start with Derek Carr because, uh, as you guys probably know, either hearing from Raider fans or just, just seeing the conversation, the most polarizing athlete I've covered as far as inside the fan base, inside Raider Nation, it seemed like a third hated him like he was Satan. I mean, that's how bad they felt he was, which is pretty ridiculous. Number two were the people who absolutely loved him and thought he could do no wrong and everything was else, everyone else's thought of fault. And then you had the other third, the people who I tend to agree with, which were much more objective, which were, yes, is Derek Carr a good quarterback? Absolutely, he's a good quarterback. I mean, look at the guy's arm. Look what he's able to do. He's also a great guy off the field because that counts for something, right? In today's world where you see him do all this charity work, he always had time for fans, yeah. and that's great. Uh, but I agree with you. I said about midway through the season to Mo, my co-host, I said, you know, I just feel like they're just going towards an amicable, which I thought it would be, and it ended up not being uh, divorced because I just felt like – he had been through all the churning and all the ridiculousness uh, that James brought up with this franchise over the course of his career. And it, it felt like to me mentally, he just was not beat, but he just, it was like, what am I going to do here? Every time I try to do something or every time I have hope, something else happens. Right. So last year was interesting because it was the first year I would say that the majority of what happened was actually Derek Carr. He didn't have a good year. Plain and simple. He had great years where he didn't have any surrounding cast. He set records for the Raiders, was a good, good quarterback, but he didn't have defenses. He didn't. So those, they aren't excuses. They're fact. Right. Last year, he had the combination of him having his worst year since his rookie season, plus you had Josh McDaniels, who did not do very well, especially early in the season, managing the game play calling, you name it. It was, it was, I called it coaching malpractice. Mm. You guys in the, in the segment to start your show, you were talking about uh, having to face people you criticize in the as members of the media. Mm. 
And and that's true. But, you know, you have to call it like you see it. And last year, that was it. You can't blame it all on Derek Carr, but he certainly didn't help himself. They signed him to the extension. They have an out built into it. And I always thought that that out was exactly what it was for last year, which was Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler come in from New England. And they're not totally convinced, but yet they give them the thing. And then they messed up at the end because they they it went south and he had no value. He couldn't trade him because of the no trade clause. Right. So I look at the Derek Carr years, and it's unfortunate that they couldn't click and get things going with him. But I do agree that it was time to move on. Now, is Jimmy Garoppolo a franchise quarterback? Absolutely not. Do I think that's how they look at him? No. I think he's definitely that bridge stopgap quarterback you mentioned, KC. Because uh, they they wanted to move on. There there was this draft, as you know, you had two, three quarterbacks, and even those are debatable mm-hmm. at the top of the draft, and that was it. So they they need their franchise guy for the next ten to twelve years, and he wasn't available. So they went out and they got what they thought was the best, and and they're hitching their wagon to Jimmy Garoppolo, who doesn't seem to be able to stay healthy. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't seem to stay healthy, and it feels like. Every day, every other day, he throws three interceptions. Oh, and, Jimmy. And, Jimmy. That's, uh, and that's my guy, Jimmy. I like Jimmy, but oh, he no, likes the high ball. He, he likes a high ball. Um, yeah, but that's not the only problem. I mean, I, how are they going to build a team around whoever's the quarterback? Because they still have the Josh Jacobs situation, like hanging out there. Like, what are they doing there? How are they? Mm-hmm. Why is Devonte Adams even there? Why hasn't he just said, "Get me out of here now. Mm-hmm. I'm done." I'm confused. You know, they bring him in to play with his best friend. Then they dump his best friend. It just feels like, you know, the numbers that, that all these guys put up last season uh, with, you know, two of the great wide receiver and running back combo that you could find, like it didn't matter. And, and so what would be different? And, and what are they going to do to fix whatever the Josh Jacobs situation is? Yeah, so I, I think a couple things there too. I, I think that they they believe, um, and obviously Josh McDaniels has experience with Jimmy Garoppolo. They believe he can do it, and I think he will do well there if he stays healthy. I always say if he stays healthy because that's the that's the biggest knock against him. I know what you're talking about with the he can get into those those ruts where he what that uh, someone called the Jimmy Gimmies where he would throw the ball interceptions and get kind of rash of them. But nonetheless, he's a good quarterback. He's obviously has the ability to lead a team. Uh, I think offensively, and then the locker room loves him. At the same time, you look at what's happening with this team, and you mentioned Devontae Adams. A lot of talk about that. A lot of talk about his relationship with Derek Carr. But you guys know it's a business, okay? Let's let's take out the emotion. It's this. We're not in fourth grade, and so and so can't sit next to you at lunch. These guys are pros. He got a massive contract. He's under contract. His contract makes it prohibitable to trade him. Anything can happen, right? You can always figure out a way. So I think he's in a wait-and-see mode. I think Devontae Adams is going to see how it goes this year and see what the Raiders' plan is. He wasn't happy with it to begin with, but we'll see where it goes there. The Josh Jacobs situation, it just goes back, again, the, the running back the running back value in the NFL is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's a simple economics exercise. Fans don't want to hear that. Former players don't want to hear that because it doesn't seem fair. But as I tell my little guys all the time, life ain't fair. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is in the NFL now. Mm-hmm. And as much as Josh Jacobs means to that team, um, the Raiders, what have they done? And you guys, you mentioned this, James, at the beginning, which is they've made really bad choices over the last 25 years. Mm. And if you get into giving a running back who's entering his fifth season a long-term contract, how did that work out in Dallas yeah. with Zeke, right? How did it work out in other areas, going back to, to Todd Gurley? Not that these guys aren't great, and not that I argue with them that they should get every possible cent they could. 
because they should. You know, that's their life. That's their family. They got to support their family. And, and you should. At the same time, I just don't see it. And if you look at what uh, they did in New England with running backs, I don't think they're that concerned with it. And I think Josh Jacobs shows up for week one and he plays on the tag this year mm. uh, because $10.1 million, unless the young man was really, really good with his money, um, which he could be, and he wants to be that principled guy. Uh, I think he shows up because I don't think he's going to pass up the payday. And that's great for the Raiders because with Jimmy G, a quarterback, and the system, how it works, they need that running game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Stephen A said it, and that's the one thing that he said that is spot on. Fair is a place where they judge pigs. <laughs> like, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, not, that's not the real world. You know, it's just, it is what it is. I think Josh Jacobs, um, I think he will get some type of deal done. And I think also the Raiders. Um, will have incentive to do it because, you know, some of the things that I was hearing, and I don't, you know, it's all rumors and innuendo, that they mm-hmm. say uh, the Chiefs and the Broncos are monitoring the situation where if the franchise tag gets renounced, those two teams are ready to pounce. And I couldn't imagine, you know, the Raiders and Raider fans seeing Josh Jacobs not be able to get a deal done with the Raiders and then go to the two rivals in the AFC West, either the Chiefs or the Broncos. I think that threat alone, whether that's, you know, you know, smoke signals or whatever, I think the threat of that alone will at least have them getting a deal done by week one to play this year. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the whole rescinding the tag thing, and James will appreciate this uh, as he as, since he writes, is um, that's a to me, that's an agent floated story. Mm. Right. That's an agent floating a story. Uh, to put some pressure on the Raiders to make them, you know, especially because fans get worked up about that stuff, right? Yeah. You guys talking about headlines and kind of clickbait stuff. That's what happens. And and I get it, but it makes no business. I mean, literally, if the Raiders did that, they, they'd not even be the laughing stock of the NFL, it'd be the laughing stock of the sports world. Hmm. Because why would you? He's an right. asset and you don't let an asset go for nothing. They just learned that with Derek Carr. Right. They got nothing for him. And that was a big mistake. And so I don't think they'll do it with Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs is a fine young dude. He is a good man, good kid, works his tail off, obviously very talented. So I anticipate he'll be there. He'll run with a chip on his shoulder, which will be good for them. And then hopefully he cashes in and is able to do what he needs to do uh, after his contract is up uh, next year. If if it's not Josh Jacobs, if if he just says, look, I'm, yeah. I'm going to hold out. I'm, I'm going to wait till week six or whatever it is. Week seven, what is it? He can hold out to a certain point and then show up and then get his year of service in. Um, but uh, can Zamir White hold it, hold down the fort? Like who's going to be the guy uh, who steps in and does something here? Yeah, I think the, the guy is Zamir White, right? They drafted him out of Georgia. That was the purpose last year was to start to develop because, again, with that system that McDaniels ran in New England, and yes, it was Bill Belichick, not him, but nonetheless, if you look at the personnel history and what they do, this is what they do. They load up on running backs in the draft. It's also becoming the model throughout the NFL. Load up on young running backs because once your guy gets to the fourth or fifth year, you're going to either let them go or you're going to tag them, and then they're going to go. Because we see the data shows over the last 15 years, running backs hit year five. In year six, it goes off a cliff as far as production goes. Not everybody, but most running backs. So Zamir White is the guy so far in camp. Reports are he's looked very good. But if Zamir White comes out, you could see Josh Jacobs come in earlier. If Zamir White goes out mm. the first couple of preseason games, of course, they'll play the 49ers this weekend then you might see Josh Jacobs a little more motivated to get back. We'll see how that goes. But that's what they're counting on. They're counting on those young players to come through. And White is the guy 
that they, I think, are fixated on unless somebody comes out of nowhere and beats them there. But I think that's what they're trying to do. They're going to see what they have with him. And if next year they want to move on uh, from Jacobs, not tag him again, let him walk away, and then go with uh, Zemir White. So we'll see. It's going to be one of the biggest stories, I think, of training camp. Scott, man, we appreciate your time. We'll get you out of here on this one. Scott Gobranson of Silver and Black today. Uh, we'll get you out of here on this one. We talked offense pretty much the entire time. To me, yeah. I think they have a lot of offensive talent. Uh, I think they got playmakers on the offensive end, especially if they get Josh uh, Jacobs back in the fold. The, the thing for me last year, the year before, was that Raiders defense. Obviously, Max Crosby is who he is. He's he's one of them ones in the NFL, just an all-around playmaker and one of the great defensive players in the league. You expected more from Chandler Jones. There's a hole, in my opinion, in the linebacker, linebacker spot and then in the secondary as well. Now, they went out and got Marcus Peters, and we'll see how much he has left in the tank and what he's able to do. He's a big-time playmaker himself. But did they do enough on the defensive end in the draft and in this offseason to kind of help that side of the ball out and possibly uh, improve the team as a whole? Because we, we talk about some of those games that they lost last year and they put it on Derek Carr or whatever the case may be. They had like two and a half touchdown leads in four of those games that they lost. That points a little bit to the defense breaking down a little bit. Do they have enough uh, or did they do enough, excuse me, this offseason on that side of the ball to improve? It's a great question, and and the defense has been deplorable for for force. I mean, go back to the Gruden days. It was the same thing with Paul Gunther. They just couldn't get it done. So the answer is yes and no. I think they've done some nice things on the defense to kind of get it to where it needs to go. There was no way they were going to address it. I talked with a lot of fans, and they're like, oh, we didn't do enough on defense. It's like, well, how are you going to? You have a salary cap. You have so many draft picks. You can only sign so many free agents. The Marcus Peters edition is a good one. We've already seen uh, from the press conferences this past week, all the young uh, cornerbacks like Nate Hobbs, the kid out in Illinois who's done so well there, mm-hmm. all of them are mentioning, and Trayvon Morg, the safety, are mentioning how much Marcus Peters in camp already is teaching them. Mm-hmm. So I think how much he has left in the tank is a good question. I think, though, they brought him in to teach as much as they did play, which is a stepping stone. Uh, but but certainly they need to create turnovers. The Raiders haven't been able to create turnovers. They're last in the league last year. They need to do that again. So I think they did that. They drafted Tyree Wilson, a great player who's injured, by the way. You talk about a big risk. Yeah. Team is in Vegas, and they put it all on red and said, we're going to take Tyree Wilson at seven. Remember, you go back early, draft pools had him maybe as one or two. Mm. So that's how good Tyree Wilson is, but he's got that foot injury. Mm. He's yet to play in camp. Uh, So I think it points to Chandler Jones having to have a resurgence, especially early in the season, for them to do it. But linebackers still, they, they don't have anything. They have nothing at linebacker. Now, I know the position has changed in the NFL. That hybrid position is much more important. Uh, going back, the, the days of LT and those guys are gone. But nonetheless, they still need somebody there. It's, somebody's going to drop back in coverage. And they think they have a couple young guys there. But overall, you know, they're, they're maybe at 40% of where they want to be on defense. They think mm-hmm. that'll be better than even it was last year. Early reports show the defense has been doing really well so far. But that's in shorts and pads. That's not you know, in live action. We'll see what the practices this week, how they do, but it's a long haul, Casey. It's going to be a multi-year project. I would imagine that they would take a big step next year if everyone they've done and dealt with this year works out, 
they're going to have to do it. But without a defense in the AFC West, you have no chance right. when you look at those quarterbacks you're facing. Straight up, straight up. Downtown Scott. Scott Gobranson, <laughs> man, of Silver and Black today, man. We appreciate you coming on. And this isn't going to be the last time. And we're going to talk to you often uh, this year as ESPN 1320 is the home of Raider Nation here and Raider Games all year long, man. So we look forward to talking to you all year long, Scott. We appreciate your time, man. Hey, James and Casey, I appreciate you both, and we'll talk to you uh, later on in the week. Thanks again.